the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Ten minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. It is a Thursday, the 29th. And thank the good and heavenly Lord above, the penultimate day in the month of Groom. That means we have just one more after this one in the year of our Lord, 2023. And as I said yesterday, and as I said the day before that, and as I said on Monday, just because we are winding up the month of Groom doesn't mean that the grooming ends on July 1st. It doesn't. But the uh, pride nonsense and the parades and all the other crap we have been besieged with, we've had forced down our throats like a fire hose, Um, at least that part of it will be over. So thanks for joining us this morning. We have a lot of things to talk about this morning. Uh, coming up in about an hour and a half, we've got a lot of time together in the first hour and a half uh, before we talk to our first guest at uh, 1035. Bernie Moreno will be joining us. He is, uh, is of course, a candidate for the United States Senate. Uh, he's going to react to a Sherrod Brown story. Quite an interesting and quite a salacious Sherrod Brown story. Uh, as uh, Sherrod Brown 
is accused of uh, essentially essentially decrying a rail lobbyist, but winning millions of dollars for the group he decried. He secured millions of bucks in federal grants for a transportation lobbying association that he denounced uh, as special interest groups and pushed away uh, regulation. So we're going to talk about uh, that with Bernie uh, Marino at 1035. Uh, and then at 1110, we're going to talk. Remember the story we did a, a few weeks back with James Fishback about the end of debate? This is how bad it's gotten in terms of high schools <clears throat> and their censorship of conservative thought that even on debate teams, you know, debate uh, uh, speech and debate forums, um, judges are banning, or rather uh, 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 giving the L, the loss, automatically, no matter how good somebody's debate presentation is, if they use words they don't like, like illegal alien, or if they use words like, uh, you know, woman, or <laughs> things that are binary and not uh, sensitive and, and favorable to the LGBTQ community, and they're giving them Ls, it's gotten much, 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 much worse. Now, debate opponents are going into their opponents' social media accounts and looking for things that they have said in order to present it to the judges to make the judges dislike those particular uh, debate opponents. And then the judges are saying, yep, we agree, you lose. Doesn't matter what you say, how good. They are trying to silence all dissenting points of view. They want nothing but pure, unadulterated conformity. And I'm talking Orwellian, 1984-esque conformity. Conformity of thought, conformity of speech, and so much more. This is just a tremendous example of it. And James uh, Fishback will join us to tell us more about that coming up in the 11 uh, 11 o'clock hour. So for the first uh, 90 minutes... I'm so glad we have this open because we have a lot of ground to cover. We're going to give you the latest on what's going on with the criminal, uh, the Biden criminal uh, family or crime family or criminal syndicate. I kind of mix all of those up from time to time. But that's exactly who they are and what they are. And before I tell you the latest, what do you say? We say our pledge. Patriots, go ahead and stand. Face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our pledge. If you believe in anything that the Biden administration, by way of the Merrick Garland Department of Justice, is doing to allow rampant crime to go unchecked. Uh, if you believe in that stuff, you don't believe in freedom, you don't believe in justice, you don't believe in that flag, you may. Therefore, consider yourself exempt from the request to pledge your allegiance to it. So you may take a knee over there next to that socialist unemployed quarterback while the rest of us stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all all right so uh, let's uh, let's get started this is there's a lot of new ground to cover here or a lot of more amplified ground to cover that we have already walked a little bit yesterday the IRS whistleblower, uh, who is kind of at the center of the Biden crime family and exposing so much of it, the IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley, who was trying to follow the money trail um, in the case of Hunter Biden, which, of course, as we know, ended with a slap on the wrist of paying back his um, his taxes, uh, getting a little bit of probation, and then, of course, folding into it uh, a slap on the wrist uh, of a diversion program for a gun charge that he is not allowed to have, a gun he is not allowed to have lying on, on federal gun forms. Um, 
Gary Shapley and other lead investigators at the IRS knew they had a hell of a lot more than what they ended up uh, being able to charge him with. And the reason why is obstruction. Obstruction from the Merrick Garland DOJ because they did not want Hunter Biden's trail to lead to their boss, to the president, to the big guy, to Joe Biden himself. That is the reality of the situation. And yesterday, Gary Shapley sat down with Brett Baer to talk about some of this. In fact, to talk about most of this, I can't play you the entire thing. That would be foolish, but I do want to play portions of this to you. Shapley alleged during the interview and in testimony before the House Ways and Means Committee that the prosecutors in Merrick Garland's office, the DOJ, directed these IRS investigators to avoid asking witnesses questions about President Biden. Not allowed to talk about the big guy. And the question would be, why is our job to investigate criminal activity in the taxes, in you know, involving the IRS, which is our job as IRS investigators, or is it not? And the answer, of course, is it was not. They chose not to collect search warrants related to the president's son, and more. We weren't allowed to ask questions about dad. Gary Shapley said. We weren't allowed to ask questions about the big guy. We weren't allowed to include certain names in document requests and search warrants. So we were precluded from following that line of questioning. This is extraordinary. Now, Shapley said, and I'll play this for you a second here. Shapley said, it's very important, that they weren't trying to get anybody. They were just trying to get to the bottom of it. They were trying to follow the... In other words, they weren't acting... In a partisan manner, they're not a bunch of conservatives in the IRS. And pretty much you can't be if you work for the IRS because you know they've been weaponized against conservatives. But nonetheless, let's get it out there. Gary Shapley basically is saying, we're not conservatives. We're trying to take down the Biden family. We were tasked with investigating potential tax fraud. We were tasked with investigating breaches of of personal and family responsibility for paying their taxes. Making sure that income is reported, making sure that income is legal, and making sure it is taxed appropriately. We were trying to follow the process and get to the bottom of the probe. The bottom line is, if this is going to lead to another individual, he said, we have to follow that to determine what was actually happening. That's what investigators do. As he testified before the House and Ways Committee, though, Assistant U.S. Attorney Leslie Wolf repeatedly worked to limit any questioning related to The big guy. Joe Biden has to be untouchable, is essentially what they were told. So I'm going to play this for you now in the opening segment because it's important. We can react to it and follow up on it as we go. But yesterday's interview with Brett Baer, with uh, IRS whistleblower Gary Shafley, who, by the way, should probably take extraordinarily important steps to protect himself and his family to make sure he doesn't get suicided. And I know that sounds crass, but I am a realist. My eyes are open to what we have seen in the past, in the recent past, with people who dared to cross the power families in the Democrat realm. You dare to cross certain families, you you, you have to watch your back. Let's just put it that way, plain and simple. So Gary Shapley is very courageous coming out here and putting his name to this, not just being an anonymous whistleblower within the IRS. There is one of those, too, who clearly is afraid. But they're telling the truth, and Gary Shapley is doing so on live television, including yesterday with Brett Baer. Please listen closely. And as far as following the money, did you get that far down the investigative track? Concerning Hunter Biden, I feel like we have a very good grasp on 
on the income flows, yes. And is it millions? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was around $8.3 million in from 2014 to 2019. How many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. And as far as the president's involvement in that? So that's kind of the crux of, of one of the issues here is that we weren't allowed to ask questions about dad. We weren't allowed to ask about the big guy. We weren't allowed to in include uh, uh, certain names and document requests and search warrants. So, um, you know, we were precluded from following that line of questioning. Are you convinced, looking back at this now, that this was an effort to protect President Biden and his family? Uh, I mean, we were conducting an investigation of Hunter Biden, and we were trying to follow the normal process. We were trying to get to the bottom of it, and ultimately, you know, if it was going to lead to another individual, you know, we should follow that to uh, to determine what is actually happening. Um, but you know, there were definitely hindrances that I've never seen before in my 14 years concerning this investigation that didn't allow us to follow through on investigation of uh, of, of of any other individual to include President Biden tracking the money. What? How did it go? Where do you think it is? The money that Hunter Biden earned. Well, where he spent it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, is is spent. But as far as the investigation goes, that was part of it, tracking where it came from, where it went to. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. you had that down. We feel like we did, but there were certain things that you know when when prosecutors don't allow you to put the subject's name on document requests. Run or on search warrants, then you know it raises the possibility that there's more information out there we didn't find. But um, but based on all of the financial records that we did find, you know they've been they've been analyzed. And it was around 8.3 million he received. From I'm gonna pause it right there. Just in the two minutes of this three minute and thirty second clip that you've heard thus far, Donald Trump would be locked up by now. On those two minutes of answers from Gary Shapley alone, Donald Trump would be being impeached if he was still president. Donald Jr., if this was you know comparable with uh, with Hunter Biden being his son, he would be in prison right now. This would be over. The left would be going nuts over these revelations that the IRS was blocked by the Department of Justice from following the leads to wherever the money goes implicating whomever the money implicates. It would be over if this was Trump in the White House. It just, I feel like it, it's its worth stating that very clearly. Let's continue. Who? They came from, from China, from CEFC, came from Ukraine, and from Romania. And, um, you know, even even the Burisma money, and, and, and it's kind of a aspect that we didn't get into, but... Um, the 2014 and 2015 tax years when the Burisma money was coming in. I mean, to this day, um, um, there's still around $400,000 of unreported income from Burisma in 2014. Hunter Biden was told by his partner, Eric Schwerin, that he needed to amend his returns, and he never did. So D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office declining those charges, David Weiss requesting special counsel authority and being denied, 
and then the statute of limitations then expires in November or December of 2022. So those years are gone, and there's no way to recoup the, 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 the money from that bereavement income. For the people who say, well, yeah, listen, he paid the back taxes, and it's, it's all done. He, it's passed. Sure. Well, we'll cut that clip there, um, but again, to underscore the most important information there. They intentionally did not look at Hunter Biden's Burisma income and make sure that he paid taxes on it because then they would have to, the Bidens would have to explain that income from 2014. They intentionally did not look at that, but they did see $8.3 million from foreign sources from China, Romania, and Ukraine. And they did not get to follow that money trail as far as it went. They had to stop with Hunter. When they followed it past Hunter, where else did that money go? That's when they had a roadblock placed in front of them, a giant brick wall, a border wall, if you will, that said you can't go past this point because it may lead to the president. And you very specifically are not allowed to ask about the president. Do not inquire IRS agent and investigator Shapley about Joe Biden. That's not happening. That is not allowed. A very good grasp on on the income flows. Yes. And is it millions? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It was it was around 8.3 million in from 2014 to 2019. As far as the president's involvement in that? So that's kind of the crux of of one of the issues here is that we weren't allowed to ask questions about dad. We weren't allowed to ask questions about dad. And now we all know why. It's 925. We're just getting started. If you think I'm not going to cover this stem to stern, front to back, you're mistaken. Because the media will not. The media is focused on Donald Trump's documents. The mainstream media, anyway. This is the number one story. This is a bigger story than documents. This is a bigger story than Watergate. This is extraordinary. This should be what crumbles a presidency. And if the Washington Post and the New York Times and CNN and ABC and NBC and so forth cared at all about the responsibility that comes with being the fourth estate, that be, comes with being the media that is supposed to hold public officials accountable to the people, this would crumble the Biden presidency. They won't do it. We will give it all of the time and all of the energy and all of the breath that we possibly can. It's 926, Always Right Radio, right back. So I want to hit this real quick before the bottom or before the bottom of the hour. As we watch all of this play out and we watch the facts come out about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and the relationship that they have that is uh, uh, criminal in nature, I love that the left is going with the, but you don't understand their relationship. It's just a father looking out for a son that he loves. Anna Navarro on The View. The Hunter Biden story, the scandal, the this, the that, it's also the story of a father's love. And Joe Biden has never and will never give up on his son, son, Hunter. Uh, Willie Geist on NBC. And with the 
ability, but that he also does not want to hear any such suggestions. The blunt directive from the president may help to explain why the father and son's public appearances have only increased recently, as scrutiny has intensified around Hunter Biden's legal problems. People close to the president tell NBC News keeping his son near also means keeping him safe because Hunter is a recovering drug addict. That's why Joe is so involved in Hunter's life. It's his father's love for his drug addict son. It's just the father's love. That's why he keeps him nearby at all times to protect him. But at none of those times have they ever talked about overseas business dealings. That's what we're supposed to believe. I got much more right after this. Right Radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, it's 937. Uh, thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. Appreciate that this morning. So we got a lot more information I want to share with you. I want everyone to know the depth of the crimes. And I'm going to play this Um a couple of other clips for you here uh, before I start taking your phone calls on anything. I, I gave you just a tiny taste of what Willie Geist was saying yesterday on a, on M, on a NBC. Um, it's a minute long, and I could just give you a couple of seconds of it in the part where he talks about this is just, you know, this is a dad who's really concerned about his son because his son's a, is a drug addict, you know, and, and, and dad's got to keep him close by to really keep a good eye on him and to, and to take care of him and support him. It's so much more than that. Listen to this. Whoops, hold on a second. Let's uh, put it back in there. All right, here we go. And with these strong economic numbers and all the problems for Donald Trump, House Republicans and some media outlets trying to change the subject. <laughs> with these strong economic numbers and Donald Trump having all of his problems, some Republicans and other media outlets are trying to change the subject. How in the living hell can the subject be anything but the sitting president of the United States under investigation for taking bribes from three foreign countries through his crackhead son with whistleblowers and tape recordings and bank records to back it all up? How the hell is that not the number one story? These guys are going to say, you know, all these uh, great economic numbers should be the story. What great economic numbers? They're excited because Biden and his team decided we need new branding. I'm getting slaughtered in the numbers. I'm getting killed in the polls. 33% of the American public approves of the job Biden has done handling the economy. 33%. So they have to change the narrative, and they're going to have to just lie to the people and say the economy's doing great, and we're calling it Bidenomics. And they're they're literally acting as if that's some sort of a new name. Or first of all, they're acting as if a new name is going to change the reality of the numbers. 
But second of all, they're trying to like act like they're clever. They got KJP, you know, the the black and gay press secretary who's black and gay, uh, who was hired and it was announced that she was black and gay. Do you remember her? Yeah, she's up there talking about Bidenomics. It's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? As if it's new, as I said before. Any president with a two-syllable name ending in N, they've called that their economic plan. Reagan had Reaganomics. Clinton had Clintonomics. Now Biden has Bidenomics. Hell, even though Trump doesn't end in an N, sometimes people would, would have uh, actually called it Trumponomics. I mean, you guys are not clever and know the economy is not great. But this is what we mean when we talk about the legacy media, the mainstream media, gaslighting the American people, telling them completely false, factless information in order to change the narrative, and then accuse the Republicans of being the ones that change the narrative. It's remarkable, listen again. And with these strong economic numbers and all the problems for Donald Trump, House Republicans and some media outlets trying to change the subject... To the president. I just want to smack that guy just, just, just back of my hand one time, just while he's up there on the, on the set. I wish I, w- I could get a job as a cameraman for them. I would just, just, just one time, just, no, I'm not trying to promote violence. It's just a, it's just a, just a fantasy, I guess. Son Hunter and NBC News has some new reporting on how the president is approaching those issues surrounding his son. Three people familiar with the situation tell NBC News the president has made it clear to his top aides in no uncertain terms. He not only will reject any political advice that he tried to limit Hunter's public visibility, but that he also does not want to hear any such suggestions. The blunt directive from the president may help to explain why the father and son's public appearances have only increased recently. I know why their public appearances have increased recently, because they're joint at the freaking hip. The scrutiny has intensified around Hunter Biden's legal problems. People close to the president tell NBC News keeping his son near also means keeping him safe, because Hunter is a recovering drug addict. As the president reportedly wrestles with the issue, sources say he resents anyone would suggest he distance himself from his son because of what he views as unfair and outrageous Republican attacks, all that. Unfair and outrageous Republican attacks. Credible evidence. Credible evidence in the form of eyewitnesses, whistleblowers, bank records, and audio tape recordings of phone calls. All exist, and they're calling it outrageous, non-credible Republican attacks on Joe and his son. And I gave this one to you before, too. Got to understand. Joe's commitment here is through his family because Joe's, he's just a loving pops. The Hunter Biden story, the scandal, the this, the that, it's also the story of a father's love. And Joe Biden has never and will never give up on his son, son, Hunter. It just kind of moves you, doesn't it? He's never going to give up on his son. That's the father's love we're talking about here. That's what's guiding the president. It's not his desire for millions and millions and millions of foreign dollars in exchange for selling out the vice presidency and access to American policy. It's, i got to stay close to Hunter because he's my son and I love him and he's, he's, he's addicted to crack. I got, a, I got a text, I mean a tweet today in response to um, a particular parody song that I made. I got a... I got a tweet today from somebody who calls herself Blue Blood Mama. And the tweet was replying to my parody song, and it said, You know, Bob, 
After losing so many of his kids to horrible circumstances, this video you posted to make fun of a hurting family—this <laughs> video you posted to make fun of a hurting family—is actually about a very loving dad trying to help his one remaining child to, first and foremost, stay alive, and secondly, to get well. Well, who knew that that that. Joe's business relationship with his son wasn't about getting rich. It was about helping his crackhead son stay alive. I guess there's a father-son bond there that nobody else can really, truly understand. My child called me up just the other day. He said, Dad, I need some crack. Can you help me today? And I had lots of cash, but bills to pay. He said, Don't worry, Dad, I'll find another way. He was smoking for I knew it, and away he flew, saying, I'm gonna be like you, Dad. You know I'm gonna be like you. And hunters in the basement with a silver spoon. The hookers and drugs were gonna be there soon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when I'll be good and high by then, Dad Yeah, I'll be good and high by then Picking through rugs, um, smoking anything that re- even remotely resembled crack cocaine I'm very proud of my son My son came around just the other day He said, I got me a deal where we can both get paid Can I trade on your name? I said, sure, okay Will anyone know? He said, no, no way as he walked away, he looked kind of dim and said, I'm going to be like him, yeah. You know I'm going to be like him. He's, he's fixed it. He's worked on it. And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon. Ukrainian bribes were going to be there soon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. I'll put aside your 10%, Dad. I'll always have your 10%. So, honey, what are you doing? I said, Dad, I'm fine. He said, you're not fine. I know how to game the system. Come on. Come on. Well, he came from Kiev just the other day. Had a smile so big I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. How's our cash supply? He nodded his head and said, great big guy, but what I really need, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. You can take the vet, but watch the boxes, please. And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon. Classified papers all over the room When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when I'm getting good and high again, Dad I'm getting good and high again He pointed out the reason why he regrets it is he didn't anticipate that that thugs like Giuliani would use it to, in fact, try to embarrass his father. Yes, they are. They're flat thugs. Come on. This guy is a dog whistle about as big as a foghorn. I stole an election and my son moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, you owe some cash, I want my cut today. He said, calm down, Dad, you know it's on the way. But my laptop is gone and now it's on you. And now we're both really screwed, Dad. And now we're both gonna be screwed. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me He was damn near dumber than me My boy was dumb as me And there was Hunter in the basement with a silver spoon 
All of our crimes were coming out real soon When's it all in, son? I don't know when But we're gonna end up in the pen, Dad We're both gonna be in the pen I am absolutely certain, 100% certain That at the end of the investigation That I will be cleared of any wrongdoing God save the queen, man the Hunter Biden story, the scandal, the this, the that, it's also the story of a father's love. And Joe Biden has never and will never give up on his son, son Hunter. All right, 9.51 on Always Right Radio. I'm going to be taking your phone calls very shortly, but maybe maybe right after the top of the hour, because I want to spend just a few more minutes with another piece of audio that that really, I think, hammers this home. The duplicity, the corruption involving Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, as evidenced and outlined by James Comer of the House Oversight Committee, um, it's becoming more and more clear. John Solomon is a veteran reporter and award-winning investigative journalist who now runs the substack John Solomon Reports, or J. Solomon Reports, but um, he's been an investigative journalist, uh, the founder of Just the News. He worked at the AP, the Washington Post, the Hill. John Solomon did an interview on Real America's Voice just um, uh, a couple of days ago. Actually, this might have been yesterday. Take that back. This was yesterday. And I want you to listen as he tells the story of how law enforcement had documents regarding Hunter Biden. And one of the documents got leaked to John about a phone number. And it's a phone number which turned out to be the burner phone used by the guy nobody's allowed to ask about. Pops. Dad. Big guy. When he was the vice president a phone paid for by Hunter's firm. Listen to the story of what happened when John called that number. Listen to this whole thing. This is important. About Merrick Garland, a pro tip this person writes, when an IRS investigator says you're lying, always assume he's got receipts. Garland called the IRS whistleblower a liar. So whistleblower is now introduced. We talked about this yesterday, and you see from that yeah. law firm, six yep. different witnesses wow. saying, we're going to back this up. So I want to cycle through this to put on the table a couple of ideas. We talked to your team, uh, Joe Weber, yesterday about maybe an impeachment of Garland. Uh, then you got the next one there. This one, we've mentioned it, but I got to ask you about it. This story that Joe Biden used a secret global cell phone while he was vice president, paid for by Hunter's firm. And a moment ago, Terrence was talking about James Colmer, who I think was on Newsmax over the weekend, saying, I'm going to have more payments to the Biden family. There's more money. It's not just Russia, uh, Ukraine, China, you name it. And so between the Garland IRS stuff, Comer and more payments, and this guy was using a secret cell phone paid for Hunter. I don't even know where to begin, John. Now, this is the John Solomon part. So I've never told this story before. Only my editors at the, the Hill knew this back in 2019. Uh I early on got some documents from the Hunter Biden laptop. By the way, before it was turned over for the FBI, there had been some documents that law enforcement had gotten through other means. And one of those documents got leaked to me, and it had a cell phone number that Hunter Biden was paid for. So I figured, oh, this is my chance. Maybe I can, I've been trying to get fair comments from Hunter Biden. So I'm going to call the cell phone. So I called the cell phone, and guess who picked up the phone? 
Oh boy. Joe Biden. Joe? Joe oh, Biden. What? Boy, was he shocked when he got uh, when he picked up the phone and found out it was me. He hung up pretty quickly. Uh, but it was the first idea. And later, when the laptop came out, we wow. were able to prove that there was there were these uh, cell phone bills that were being paid for. That certainly the laptop wow. evidence suggested maybe uh, were Joe Biden's cell phones. But it was a shocker. I remember going into my editor saying, "Wow, hey, guess who I just reached? Like, who? I got Joe Biden. I had to get his phone. I called Hunter's phone and he picked up. This was uh, in the summer of 2019. And so." Uh, it's just, you know, uh, there is a lot more. We know from the good work that I did and Miranda Devine did that Joe Biden had a lot of bills being paid for by Hunter Biden. I, I think that the next big shoe to drop, even before Hunter appears in the court late, in late July, is that there's a strong possibility that there will be a, um, a cooperation by Devin Archer, the right-hand man of Hunter Biden during the early pursuit of foreign money, a man who moved between Joe Biden and Hunter Biden Seamlessly. He knows what both guys were doing in all these foreign deals. I think that could be a seminal moment that could put a very dark cloud wow. over this president. These guys are dark. Devin Archer knows what Hunter did. He knows what Joe did. He know what, knew what, knows what they did together. And if that guy is able to, to be brought forward under subpoena or anything else, all of these little puzzle pieces will be put together. But how about that, what John Solomon just said? He got leaked through law, a law enforcement uh, agents who received a bunch of documents. He had one of those leaked to him that had a phone number on it, which turned out to be a burner phone that was paid for by Hunter's firm, and John thought would be Hunter's phone. So he called the number that was on the document, expecting to get Hunter and hoping to ask him some questions. This is when he worked for The Hill in 2019, when Biden was um, uh, not still vice president, obviously, but uh, obviously connected to his son. Remember, he told us uh, when he became president and many times that uh, he has no conversations whatsoever with Hunter about his overseas business dealings. So John calls that phone number expecting to get Hunter to ask him about it, and Joe answers the phone. Joe Biden answered the phone. It was his burner phone paid for by Hunter's firm. But remember, they don't talk business together at all. One other thing I'll put on your map, because I think it's very important. There's another whistleblower emerging right now who provided the Securities and Exchange Commission a detailed report in November of 2016. That's the earliest known instance wow. of uh, allegations of wrongdoing against the Biden family. He is emerging and beginning to cooperate with members of Congress. Uh, we could have something on that as early as next week. A lot of information is coming out of the woodwork. The, the storm clouds are darkening over the Biden family. Mm. I'm still trying to digest. You're calling Hunter's cell phone or well, what you thought was Hunter's. Yeah. And Joe picks up. What do you say? Come on, man. Or what, what's that conversation? And, and, you know, and then I'm thinking, did he know that it was Hunter's phone? Was he confused? Maybe he <laughs> thought it was his phone. And, you know, a lot of times as people get elderly, their sons pay their bills. So maybe there's something going on there. It does seem like uh, the family but enables you, but this man. Joe told us I, I had nothing. Yeah, yeah, I had nothing to I do, do with the business. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, Go ahead. it was funny. I, I, I realized, it. my God, that's not under. Is this the vice president? And he said, I'm sorry, I can't talk right now. And he hung up. So. Uh, but it was oh absolutely gosh. Joe Biden's boss. It was, it was a very funny moment. And, um, wow. and it, you know, it, it was the beginning of realizing that we were on the, on the cusp of something very big. And then, of course, all the Democrats started their counteroffensives and scared people away for a couple of years. But facts are a persistent thing. Whistleblowers are persistent things. We're getting the truth, and if it wasn't for Real America's Voice, Just the News, we might and Miranda Devine and a few others, we might not have gotten the truth. But thank God we've been digging, and, and the truth is starting to come through. The ice is blocking. Wow. That's been blocking the truth. is now thawing out. 
So that's that's some groundbreaking stuff right there. And he's right. They were on the verge of something very, very big. And then they got shut down as Democrats, including and especially the weaponized Department of Justice, the weaponized FBI, scared people away. They made life miserable for would-be uh, for actual whistleblowers. They scared the bejesus out of other whistleblowers so that they would not come forward, wrecking their lives. But now here we are. As we get a little bit further into this, there's a, you know the old adage, right? There's safety in numbers. The more individuals have dirt on Hunter and Joe's selling out of America's White House um, to foreign adversaries for personal profit, the more people that there are coming forward, the more it emboldens others who know things to step forward to. There's safety in numbers. It's, uh, it's all starting to come together. And when it all starts to come together, it all starts to fall apart for the Biden. We'll be back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Yeah, buddy. Nine minutes after 10 o'clock. Spitting fire and truth at you every day on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. It's a uh, Thursday, the 29th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. You would normally hear Dr. Everett Piper. He's sick today, so he's got the day off. We'll have Dr. Piper back next week. This gives us an opportunity to talk about all the stuff I just gave you for the first hour. And a few new things, too. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Have a very good grasp on, on the income flows. Yes. And is it millions? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was it was around eight point three million in from twenty fourteen to twenty nineteen. As far as the president's involvement in that, so that's kind of the crux of of one of the issues here is that we weren't allowed to ask questions about dad. We <laughs> we weren't allowed to ask questions about dad. The IRS investigators tasked with looking at multi-million dollar transactions with the Biden family had to stop it with Hunter. You do not get to ask about that. Meanwhile, the same IRS is being stocked with 87,000 new agents to go after other people not named dad. Not if it's dad Biden, but they'll come for you and they'll come for me and they'll come for middle-class Americans all over this country to drag every nickel they can get out of you in order to try to supplement what they like to now call Bidenomics. Or to send it to Ukraine. Either way. You believe that? 87,000 new IRS agents to squeeze Americans, uh, middle-class Americans, but when investigators come upon millions of dollars in unreported income, they're not allowed to follow wherever that money trail leads, especially if it goes toward dad. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. We'll go to the calls on this and more, but I just got a breaking news story crossed my desk at 10.09, so here it is. The Supreme Court has ruled on the landmark affirmative action case that was before them, and they have ruled to block affirmative action 
in two closely watched lawsuits against the university or Harvard University and the University of North Carolina. The cases initially brought by a coalition of students, prospective applicants, and their parents in 2014 challenged the university's use of racial preference during the admissions process, alleging they violate Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. The court thus overruled its 2003 decision in Gruder versus Bollinger, which held that race could be a factor in the admissions process. This is ginormous. I mean, this is extraordinary. Are they actually going to get one right here? Did they really just decide that if you're black or if you are brown, as the terms go, you get automatic preferential treatment in the admissions process, even if you have lower scores, lower GPAs, and lower qualifications, and lower prospects for success than people who are Asian or who are white? And yes, I put them in that order because Asians have been overwhelmingly dominant as the highest ranking and thus most qualified four spots in those classes, particularly at Harvard. Wow. This is large. Both lawsuits were brought by students for fair admissions, coalition over 20,000 prospective higher education students and parents, including one Asian-American member who applied for Harvard and six other top schools but was denied admission despite his academic record. SFFA argued that Harvard violated Title VI of the Civil Rights Act, penalizing Asian-American applicants, engaging in racial balancing, overemphasizing race, and rejecting race-neutral alternatives. Similarly, SFFA argued UNC, that's North Carolina, violated Title VI by rejecting alternative race-neutral criteria that could also ensure diversity in the admissions process. The Supreme Court heard both cases in October. Schools have been anticipating the decision for months, searching for ways to maintain racial quotas. What the hell are the racial quotas? Academia is supposed to be a merit-based institution. Uh, racial quotas without explicitly using racial preference, such as eliminating standardized testing requirements and recruiting based on geographic region. That one is another uh, gem. Yeah, eliminate standardized testing requirements. You don't have to actually be able to perform just as long as you look the right, uh, have the right look. All right, so that uh, we're going to have Peter on tomorrow, by the way, about that. Kirsten, I was on with us Tuesday as some of these Supreme Court decisions started to come down, but he couldn't speak to them until he reads them. So he said he would come back on later this week. Tomorrow is later this week. We will have Kirsten. I will get his reaction to the admissions, uh, the um, uh, affirmative action and admissions story. That's a huge decision by the Supreme Court. Okay. Let's go to the phones, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. TJ's been sitting waiting. You're up on AM 1420, The Answer. TJ, fire away. Yeah, you know, Bob, when I heard about uh, Biden, fatherly love, you know, keeping uh, Hunter close to him, <laughs> yeah. he's keeping Hunter close to him. He wants to make sure Hunter keeps his mouth shut. Uh, you know, and I'm getting a kick out of this. The way Hunter played some of these world leaders, he's playing his old man the same way. Give me what I want, or I may start opening my mouth. Uh, can I say something? Uh, new story. I hope, you know what? You know what, TJ. I, you know, the only thing I can hope is that they do something a little stronger than the little wrist slap they gave him already. Because if they start to threaten him with prison and not probation, prison and not uh, a diversion program, which they did, um, then he may open up. Oh, he may open like up his. Can- he'll sing like a canary. Yeah, force, forcing his father to do one of two things. Uh, and, and, and the least objectionable, uh, objectionable to him, of which would be pardon him. 
he'd have to pardon his own son on, on yeah. his way out the door because he would have all of the goods on his father. You're exactly right. Go ahead. Can I bring up a lighter news story that was earlier in the week on 1100? Um, you don't have to cite the source of that. but Well, uh, uh, you know, they reported that AI, uh, artificial intelligence, could tell the difference between conservative, with facial rec- recognition, could tell the difference between conservatives and liberals because conservatives seem to be better-looking people. And, and I'm not kidding. That's what. No, what I saw. Said. I saw that story online. It, uh, been not only better looking, they said, but happier. Uh, right, they appeared right. happier. So right. you know, I guess it's by you know smiles or or persona, persona or how, whatever whatever um, uh, you know um, um, emotion, if you will, that your face can give off. Yeah. That's but, what. Uh, but I did see that. Yes. Yeah. But but you know the reason I think is that you know because uh, liberals are angry and it shows up in their face because they're angry about everything all the right. time. Right. And, and Bob, I worked in computers repair most of my you know working career, and one thing about a computer, it's a logical machine, and you know the left in Silicon Valley invented AI, and I can see the day coming AI is going to turn on them because when AI starts thinking on its own, it's going to think logically, not emotionally. And it's going to look at liberals who think emotionally as defective. And the yeah. day's coming, and I see it coming in the future. I, I like I like that, and, you know, it's a good description. Thank you, TJ. It's a good description of what uh, this AI is supposed to do. But, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a proponent of all of this AI advancement that is going on. I find it very, very dangerous. Um, it can be used in a lot of ways against us. And when I say us, I mean not just partisan you know, people, but just people in general. Um, we don't know what we can believe and what we can't. I saw an AI-generated video of uh, Morgan Freeman talking about how he is not Morgan Freeman, but he sounded exactly like Morgan Freeman, and his video image matched his his uh, uh, the uh, uh, you know his, uh, how am I trying to say this? His video animation, his lips matched the voice that was being given out. In other words, it looked and sounded exactly like Morgan Freeman was on a video camera in front of a video camera making a statement. And you could not tell it apart. So, in other words, they can fake things um, of people uh, as long as they have enough information on them. If they have you know images of them, if they have enough of their sound quality to feed into the machine, that AI can spit it back out and replicate it and make it say things that the individual did not say. AI is very very dangerous. But to your point, to make it lighter, uh, yeah, okay, it's fun. AI says that if you're uh, left-thinking, you look angrier and less happy, and when you are conservative, you do not. Fair point. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Speaking of uh, of recording, I want to. I posted this this morning because, well, because it troubled me, as it should you, as I kind of noted that uh, we are in the penultimate uh, on the penultimate day of uh, of grooming month right now. It's the twenty ninth morning of the sixth month. Um, that these parades and this nonsense are are about to go away. Uh, the grooming effort, of course, will not. Uh, this is this is going to go on forever until every single state bans this gender ide- ideology nonsense. And understand that it is that. It's ideology. It's political. It's a political movement. Do not misunderstand that. But anyway, um, there was a video um, of a, of an audio call that was made, and I don't know who this guy is. It looks like his his Twitter handle is at the Rob Primo One. I think he might be a podcaster. Based on the image that I see, it looks like he's a podcaster, but he recorded himself calling Toronto police up in Canada. And 
the question that he asks the police there is uh, is good. The response is even better. Listen. Hey there, I was just looking to ask an officer a question, uh, and then I got forwarded to you. Um, is there? I just want to make sure I'm not working outside of any laws or anything like that. If you want to be out in the street, you you have to be fully clothed, and you can't be naked or anything like that, right? Well, I mean, there are naked people running around on the street. Okay, but is that against the law? That'd be some mental health issues. Oh, okay. I agree with you on that one. I, I, I just, I'm having a hard time. Yesterday, I seen um, a bunch of people naked in front of children and police officers. You know, seeing men with their penis out in front of kids, and I'm just wondering if that's acceptable. Was that part of the, was that part of the pride? You mean was that yeah, on the weekend? Yeah, it was at the pride parade. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's always the issue then each year. Yeah. Is that what's the issue with that? Sorry. I mean, that happens every year. Oh, so like it's kind of like it's okay for when it's at the Pride Parade, but not in other situations, obviously? Exactly. I would I would say so. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. Oh, you're very welcome. Bye thank now. And there it is. Audio evidence of what I have been saying. Apparently in Canada... The police there treat public obscenity with the same double standard that American authorities treat it here. What that means is you can strip off your clothes and go and shake your junk in front of a little kid as long as you say you're proud while you're shaking it. If you're proud, it's okay. Otherwise, you're under arrest. Catch that? If it's part of the pride thing, you can be naked and shake your genitalia in front of little kids. Right next to them. And it's A-OK. But if you do that when you're not proud, or when there isn't a pride parade going on, now you're under arrest. Somebody make that make sense. I'll be right back. Sure, did it suffer depression. Some pretty astounding stuff there, isn't it? If you're part of Pride, you can get naked in front of kids. You can grind in front of kids. You can uh, simulate sex acts in front of kids. You can sing songs about sex in front of kids. And it is just wonderful. It's inclusive and it's diverse and it's great if you do that outside. So in other words, you can do that on June 29th like we are now. Can't do it on July 1st. Can't do it on May 31st. If you do it during Pride Month, those things are perfectly acceptable. Do it outside of the bounds of one of those things. Just go up to a kid in a playground and strip naked and shake in front of them. Now you're under arrest. Nobody's going to be able to make that make sense to me. I challenge you. If you want to try, tell me how that makes sense. Pride people, LGBTQ supporters, tell me how that makes sense. And and, and I think we'll get along famously if you can exp- explain that to me. They say that, and, and if you heard, if you remember that audio I just played for you, the police officer on the phone call said, yeah, well, that happens every year. 
And he's like, what happens every year? The, the, the naked people running around during the pride thing? And he said, yeah. As if that makes it okay because it happens every year. Wait, what? It's okay because it happens every year? So as long as it's an annual celebration of debauchery and depravity and decadence and perversion and grooming of children, um, then it's okay if it's an annual thing. That seems to be their mantra. And here is another example of it. NBC News ran a story in response to what I reported on this program and many others did as well, the uh, LGBT parade uh, parades running around the country in which they're chanting and screaming the reality that is, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. Right? We played that to the shock and horror of a lot of people. We played it, we reported on it, we commented on it. And we're saying, see, this is what we mean by grooming. They're even admitting it. So NBC runs a story that says, it's okay, it's no big deal. They say that every year. NBC attempted to diffuse the situation and put parents' fears to rest with the reassurance that LGBT activists have been threatening to come after America's children for years. See, that makes it okay because they do it every year. NBC News journalist Tyler Klinkade, or Kincaid, formerly an editor at the Huffington Post, <laughs> what's the difference with NBC, wrote, quote, to conservative pundits, activists, and lawmakers, the video confirmed the allegations they've levied in recent years that the LGBTQ community is grooming children. But according to the original organizer of the New York City drag march, Brian Griffin, quote, if that's the worst they heard, it's only because he wasn't there this year. Griffin said he's chanted obscene things in the past and joked about pubic hairs and sex toys being handed out during marches. And he said they've been saying we're coming for your children for years. So that makes it okay. That's perfectly fine. That's okay as long as we do it every year. As if to say it's harmless because they said it every year, but, but they don't act on it. But they do, and that's the point. How is it? Def- how is it a defense of something to say we do it all the time, so it's no big deal? Don't take it so seriously when it has been done and it is effective. If they started that years ago, they didn't just say it for fun because they have been grooming year after year after year ever since then. Just because they affirm it during their parades every June doesn't mean that it's uh, that it's just a slogan. It's actionable. It is something that they actually recruit kids to be a part of from preschool through primary grades, middle school, high school, and, and, and college. They literally are indeed coming for our children, and they're announcing it. And when we say, look, see, they admitted it, they say, yeah, but we say that every year. Yeah, and you do it every year, too. That kind of matters. <sighs> two more days, two more days, two more days, just two more days of this horrific, wretched, demonic, evil month that has been co-opted by Satan himself. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. We're going to take a break here at the bottom of the hour. We're going to come back and shift gears. Bernie Moreno wants to be a United States Senator. He wants to boot Sherrod Brown from his spot. I think that would be a great occurrence, quite frankly. Uh, we're going to talk about something that Sherrod Brown has just been caught in. I'll let Bernie Moreno respond to that as we continue on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. 589940. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always Right Radio with Bob Fretz on The Answer. 
1035 on Always Right Radio. Appreciate you being with us this morning. A lot of important news we've discussed already. We've got more to go get to. I welcome you at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. So, Sherrod Brown, one of the uh, two Ohio senators um, who has been in office about three terms too long, as far as I'm concerned. He certainly cannot have another one. Um, Sherrod Brown is involved in, uh, well, uh, apparently funding lobbyist organizations that he decries. U.S. Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee Chairman Sherrod Brown, according to this story in the New York Post, secured millions of dollars in federal grants for a transportation lobbying association, even as he denounced the special interest groups while pushing railway regulations. Sherrod Brown has steered tens of millions of dollars since 2021 from the Transit Administration toward industry grants uh, with the help of a senior advisor, including a million dollars for a program at a top transportation lobbying group where the aide formerly worked, according to annual reports. Joining me now to analyze this and make some sense of this is a guy that I would love to see boot Sherrod Brown right the hell out of Washington. Bernie Moreno uh, is a U.S. Senate candidate, and he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Bernie, good to talk to you again. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. Thank you so much for having me. So, um... I, 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 I don't want to say that Democrat and hypocrite are synonymous, but I think they're pretty close sometimes, particularly when the Democrat in, in question is, um, is uh, Sherrod Brown. What is your, uh, what is your take on, uh, on the story I just shared about uh, funding groups that he publicly decries? Well, it's no surprise. I mean, he gets, he gets all the cover in the world from the Ohio media. You'll never see this story reported at any Ohio mainstream media outlet. Uh, they cover for him, so he gets away with it. He's gotten away with it for 30 years. And he's he's just as much part of the swamp as anybody else. I mean, he's got people in his office that work for companies that they then steer our taxpayer dollars to those companies to basically fund people to get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to do absolutely nothing other than take our money. And that's how D.C. works. That's what President Trump talked about when he talked about the swamp. And that's what Sherrod Brown is. He has this fake persona. You know, this guy went to Yale and graduated in Russian studies and pretends to be the hero of the American worker. And you and I both know he's not. You know, Bernie, uh, there's a reason I quoted the source of this story as being the New York Post, because it wasn't the Cleveland Plain Dealer. It wasn't the Columbus Dispatch. It wasn't the Cincinnati Inquirer or the Toledo Blade. You're right. Why? Will, will, will Ohio not, Ohio's media not keep tabs on our federal elected officials, particularly when things like this are so egregious and obvious? Well, Sherrod's wife is uh, part of that media establishment. She worked for the plane dealer. She works for the same company that was a dispatch in the Inquirer. So I'm sure she's on the phone with the editors all the time telling them what they're allowed to print, what they're not allowed to print. And the reality is, you know, the publishers uh, and the editors at those papers are activists. They're not journalists. They have a very uh, left-of-center, massively left-of-center uh, perspective, uh, far, far left perspective. So Bernie, Bernie, we're uh, we're breaking up. Yeah, we're breaking up. Um, I'm getting very little of what you're saying right now. Um, I don't know if you can move or we should reconnect. Let's. Uh, oh, I'm uh, sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that's okay. It happens. It's uh, it's the nature of the beast anymore. <laughs> that's the way. That's the way we do. Uh, but I wasn't able to hear a ton of that. Let me read though to set set up your next response uh, from the May 16th press release. So this is only a little over a month ago. 
My colleagues and I agree, big rail companies and the lobbyists that work for them have had too much power and influence for far too long. They have spent years fighting every effort to make our trains and rail lines safer. Um, that was directly in his press release. It wouldn't be hard even for Connie Schultz's newspapers to find that and then say, well, then why is it that you are raising so much money for those big rail companies and the lobbyists that work for them? Well, because, like I said, they're on his side. They they want to advocate for these far-left positions that he votes for. So they are firmly on his side. These are not journalists. These are people who are radical left progressives that have a different view of the country that Shira Brown advocates for. He is a guy that's voted almost 100% of the time with Biden's leftist agenda. And the journalists, uh, so-called, at these newspapers, they advocate for that. That's what they want to see. There's another There's another vote he took, uh, Bob, that you may not have seen. He voted against an amendment to the debt ceiling deal that would have ended subsidies to Chinese companies bringing solar panels to America. Think about that. Our taxpayer dollars subsidizing Chinese companies to bring solar panels to the U.S. We tried to stop that. Josh Hawley tried to stop that, and Sherrod Brown voted against that. You know, that's. I'm glad to hear you say that. That, that is so extraordinarily important. In fact, Joe Biden, uh, during one of his uh, remarks, I think it was yesterday, it might have been Tuesday, but uh, but Joe Biden was celebrating the uh, growth of the solar and the wind uh, industry in the United States and said, you'll never see another coal-fired power plant built in the United States, at least while he is president. I'm, I'm sitting here just baffled by that uh, by that that line of thinking and and i know sherrod brown feels the same way how and why can they make promises like that when we we know full well uh that solar and wind make up less than what five percent of of american energy needs how in the world do they think they can replace um you know uh standard um uh fossil fuels which have been which have been driving and and powering this country for for decades or for centuries really and and we'll and we still have enough of them to do for centuries into the future well, China's laughing uh, all the way to the bank. They're building a new coal-fired plant almost every single month in China. So while China becomes em- energy dominant, Joe Biden is crippling American energy, and that is a big national security threat to this country. And you know these people aren't serious about climate change, because if they were, they'd be talking about unleashing nuclear power, which would immediately solve the problem, but that's not what they want to do. They want to use this as a political weapon to control us and to increase taxes, increase the size of the government, take away our freedom. That's ultimately what this is all about. Yeah, we're talking to Bernie Moreno, who is a candidate for the United States Senate uh, in the Republican primary. Uh, we'll see what kind of opponents show up there. But, but Bernie, it's just coincidentally, I guess, I literally just saw this this morning. Uh, a 14,000 panel, 5.2 megawatt community solar array in Nebraska was destroyed last night by a hailstorm. Uh, there's video of it, or not video, a photograph of it. This massive, massive landscape, what was beautiful landscape, just covered uh, by, by solar panels. All of them have been destroyed by hail. You know what doesn't get destroyed by hail? Power plants. The idea that we can rely on something as as unreliable, sorry for the redundancy there, of, 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 but of, of these panels and these wind turbines, by the way, none of which are biodegradable, as they look to say we're trying to save the planet, none of those things are biodegradable, and they're going to fill up landfills from now until eternity uh, if they continue to build them in this, uh, in, in this fashion. I, I would hope we get more senators who say we need to rely on what we know is reliable, and that is fossil fuels. 
Absolutely. We should be unleashing American energy. We should be dominant in energy, Bob, and that's what would lower inflation. We need to massively lower inflation. It's killing working Americans. And by the way, it would be extremely beneficial to Ohio because that's what allows manufacturing to come back to America is when you have good, affordable, inexpensive, reliable energy, and that's nuclear power, that's coal for us, that's natural gas here in Ohio. And instead what we have is this move towards uh, this climate cult, this climate religion, which says windmills and solar panels in America, coal-fired uh, plants in China, and how does that help the world? Uh, I think we do a much better job, obviously, than China in taking care of the environment when we build fossil fuel facilities. They don't. I mean, I, I can assure you the Chinese EPA is not nearly as strict as the U.S. EPA. Oh, of course not. Of course not. And they don't care. You know, it's, it's all virtue signaling. And when they say they care about the environment, that's why we're trying to cut our carbon emission and so on and so forth. We can cut our carbon emission all we want. It goes up by 15, 16, 17% virtually every fiscal year in China and in India. They're by far the world's biggest polluters. And we enable it by buying those solar panels, as you say, and bringing them here and saying, look how, how environmentally conscious we are. You know, look how, uh, you know, how, how committed we are to saving our planet. We're going to buy these solar panels from the biggest polluters on in the world. Well, and, and again, make that worse. Sherrod Brown voted against not giving those companies taxpayer subsidies. So not only are we destroying American energy, uh, enriching China, having them send us solar panels, we subsidize that industry in China. American taxpayers. That's Sherrod Brown, the guy who pretends he's for the American worker, he's for Ohio. Those are the votes he's taken. And, again, he gets all the cover in the world from Ohio media. But thanks to you, Bob, we'll expose him. Yeah, well, we have to. We have to. Um, let, let's talk a little bit more. Obviously, he uh, walks in lockstep with Joe Biden when it comes to all of his economic policies as well. And Biden has decided that he needs a new approach. He needs a new track. He needs a new nickname. So he's calling his economic policy Bidenomics now. There, You cannot turn on or click onto your Twitter account with seeing, without seeing 50,000 Bidenomics. Bidenomics. Isn't Bidenomics great? First of all, it's not even a new moniker. They called it Reaganomics, Clintonomics. Virtually any president with an N at the end of his name, they call that their economic policy. But number that's number one. And number two, he's bragging that we have the greatest economy in the world since COVID, that we have grown faster economically than any other country in the world since COVID. Meanwhile, he has a 33% approval rating from Americans on his economic policies. 33% of Americans are, are, are disapprove of his handling of the economy. Uh, Bernie Moreno, I, like I said before, Sherrod Brown walks in lockstep with him. That means he has a 33% approval rating as well in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, almost 100% of the time he's voted with Biden. There's things he's voted for that didn't pass that would have been much worse. But let's dissect what Bidenomics really means. If you're a well-connected, wealthy, coastal elite, then you're doing really well in this country right now. If you're a working-class person, somebody who goes to work every day, works hard to provide for your family, you're getting absolutely crushed. And that's what next year's election is going to be about, is a referendum on that. We've got to rebuild our middle class. We've got to get workers to be able to provide a, a good salary for their families. Right now, we have more than half of Americans, Bob, can't come up with $1,000 in case of emergency. 25% of American kids go to bed hungry every day. That's Biden's America. That's, that's exactly what we're fighting against. Um. 
Bernie Moreno, I want to ask you one more question. Since you're running for the United States Senate, uh, that means you will be voting on things like uh, Supreme Court nominees in the future. And um, I'm just curious, uh, about an hour ago, we learned that the Supreme Court has come down with a very, very important decision. They have decided to essentially end affirmative action when it comes to admissions, race-based admissions in colleges. This is, of course, uh, in relation to the Harvard and the University of North Carolina lawsuits. So the court has said no more affirmative action. We cannot give people spots in freshman classes based on their race when there are more qualified people who may be Asian American or uh, or or Caucasian Americans. Uh, your thoughts on what uh, the court has done here, and just your general opinion on this this uh, Supreme Court? It's a great day for uh, American values such as merit, hard work. Uh, we finally are ending racism in this country, which is what what affirmative action really is. It's this culture of low expectations for minorities. When my son Bob went to school three weeks before he got to college, he got a letter saying, "Because you're Hispanic, we offer you." Uh, counseling and tutoring think about that for a second because i was born in columbia south america somehow my son is disadvantaged and is requiring special tutoring this is an a student going into a good school this kind of race baiting has got to end uh, we have to look at merit hard work perseverance those are the american values and end this idea of looking at everything through this racial lens that's all about dividing americans it is about that, and I'm so glad to hear you say that, too, because, um, you know, this this court has not, in my opinion, been the conservative dream team I had hoped it would. I mean, I supported President Trump. I love the fact that he got to appoint three of them. Uh, I expected a lot more of this. I'm not getting a lot of the right decisions, in, meanwhile, in my opinion. And meanwhile, the left is going after Clarence Thomas. They're going after Alito. They're going after the uh, the most stalwart conservatives on this court. In an attempt to pack the court, if you become a senator, how would you approach uh, attempts by the left to try to increase the number of uh, Supreme Court justices to 11 or 13 or whatever it is until a, a Democrat president can appoint enough of them uh, to take a majority over? Well, absolutely fervently against that. And again, reinforce Sharon Brown. If they're up to him, we'd have 15 members of the Supreme Court. He'd put in six radical liberals. We have to put justices in the Supreme Court and all over our federal system that respect the job, which is to interpret laws, not make laws, look at the actual uh, Constitution as it's written, not interpret it for today. Uh, this is the, the threshold that we need to make certain that we have for everybody to look at these justices. They should not be writing laws. That's the job of Congress. We have three equal branches of government. And what unfortunately happens, Bob, as you know, when the left can't get things done legislatively, which is our system, they try to get things administratively or through the judiciary, and that is not the way our system is designed. No, that is exactly what they do, 100% correct, and that's why uh, it's so important to have uh, you know uh, legislators on both chambers, in the House and in the Senate, uh, who understand that and who want the government uh, want the government to work as constitutionally intended. That's what I look for in a Senate candidate. That's what I look for even on a House candidate, uh, and uh, and I certainly hope that's. Uh, in, in fact, I have every confidence that that's what you will bring to the table, uh, Bernie Marino. Thank you so much for sharing the thoughts on Sherrod Brown. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, let's stay in uh, touch and communication and. Uh, as uh, we get further and deeper into this campaign. You got it, Bob. Thanks for having me. And keep uh, exposing Sherrod Brown for the uh, radical liberal that he is. You better believe it. Thank you. That's Bernie Moreno. Uh, he wants to take Sherrod Brown out. That makes him my good friend because I want to take Sherrod Brown out desperately. The people of the state of Ohio will be so 
much better served if Sherrod Brown is not representing them in the United States Senate. We need and must do better. I'll be right back. For all the progress we've made, we know, we know real changes, real challenges still remain. When a person can be married in the morning and thrown out of a restaurant for being gay in the afternoon, something is still very wrong in America. Have you or someone you know been thrown out of a restaurant for being gay in the afternoon? Our Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. If the answer is yes, this message is for you. Why does today's society have such a resentment towards people who are gay in the afternoon? It's okay to be gay in the morning, gay in the evening, but not the afternoon. This is not hyperbole. A recent study suggests that one in ten people who are gay in the afternoon have been thrown out of a restaurant every one in eight times. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like my America. Not on my watch. Testify. My name's Dan Lawyerman, and here at my law firm, we'll represent you no matter what time of the day you decide to be gay. The LGBTQ community. If you've been kicked out of a restaurant or discriminated against in any way for being gay in the afternoon, give us a call. The number is 1-555-555. Don't hesitate to call. I'm Dan Lawyerman, and here at my law firm, we take pride in representing you. It's okay to be matinee gay. Gay in the afternoon. And you better believe we'll make them reciprocate. Financially. Stand up and say, I'm gay. In the afternoons. For free consultation, visit awesome.com. Happy Pride Month. Oh, Lordy, just two more days. Just two more days. Um, I just saw this one, too. Uh, this isn't because we just made fun of that idiot for his idiocy. Um... This is much more serious than that. Joe Biden apparently made a statement today, or at least it just came across my screen today. This is a Fox News story from one hour ago in which Biden has claimed that he is a devout Catholic and does not like abortion, but he supports it fully. The headline is, Biden admits he's not big on abortion but says terminations in the last three month, three months have to be negotiated. Speaking to a crowd in Maryland, oh, I guess this is on Tuesday, so it wasn't yesterday, it was Tuesday, but this just hit the news cycle. Biden told a crowd in Maryland on Tuesday that his relationship to Catholicism makes him personally uncomfortable with abortion, But when it comes to abortion, he thought Roe versus Wade got it right. So in other words, just millions of dead babies apparently makes him right with his church. Then when it comes to the last three months of a baby's gestation, about whether or not a baby in the seventh, eighth, and ninth months should be able to be aborted, he said, well, that's negotiable. Somebody's got to help me with that one, too. Tearing apart a nearly fully formed human being, fully pain-capable, using sharp instruments to dissect them, to literally cut them limb from limb, to be able to be pulled out of a mother's womb with with a pair of forceps, 
is negotiable to this Catholic president of the United States. It's negotiable. We can, we can work through that. There's some give and take there. There's room for some, some, some play there. What the hell is wrong with us as a country? How did safe, legal, and rare, but certainly not after a baby is pain-capable, come to whenever and wherever the hell I want for any reason I decide? And that's what they're doing in the, in the aftermath of Roe, by the way. Now that we've given it to the states, some of the states are far more, bar- far more barbaric than they were under Roe. Up in Maine, the Maine Senate quickly pushed through a radical pro-abortion bill just two days ago on Tuesday that legalizes, legalizes killing unborn babies up to the moment of birth. The Associated Press reported that lawmakers in Maine voted 21 to 13 to pass the bill with a minor amendment and then sent it back to the House for final approval. And the governor of that state, a pro-baby-killing Democrat named Janet Mills, would legalize, would sign this and legalize abortions up to birth for any reason an abortionist deems necessary. Currently in that state, abortions are prohibited after 24 weeks, which is still way too late. Even if you give a little bit of room for the, uh, you know, beyond the moment of conception, like in Ohio, we have the heartbeat law. Six weeks. When the heartbeat is available, now that's another child. Now that's another body. And now it's not just a, uh, between a woman, a woman and her doctor because now another body is in play. 24 weeks is still well beyond pain capable. But that's not good enough for the butchers up in Maine. Now it's up to the moment of birth when Janet Mill, uh, Mills signs it. That means they can tear that baby limb from limb. Use whatever grotesque methods they want to attack and kill a baby, all because it is six inches too far up into the mother's birth canal, just on the other side of the birth canal, as opposed to being on the air side of it. What have we become? And how is this even remotely debatable? We'll take a time out here for the top of the hour. Try to make some sense out of that one while you wait, and we'll come right back on Always Right Radio, AM 1420 DS. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. 
is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward we roll into hour number three. Ten minutes past 11 o'clock on this Thursday, the 29th. And thankfully, the penultimate day in the month of groom in the year of our Lord, 2023. You just have one more to get through, friends. One more to get through. As I said at the top of the first hour and at the top of the second hour, doesn't mean the fight ends because they're going to continue to try to ramrod this crap down our kids' throats and uh, bombard us with it everywhere we go. But at least the government-sanctioned perversion, depravity, and debauchery in our streets and in our parks in the name of, quote, pride, at least they will come to an end after tomorrow. So uh, I guess that's good news. We'll take what little bit we can. So let's talk about school. Let's talk about academia for just a moment. You've known for a long time that what they have done to kids at the collegiate level, and yeah, they're still kids, even though we call them adults at the age of 18, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, they're still very, very impressionable. What they've been doing to kids in terms of censoring their points of view, censoring their thoughts, making sure that they all comport with the uh, the left-wing Marxist type of point of view that 99.5% of the professors and the administrators at those institutions of higher learning uh, hold, They started to push that down into the high school level, the middle school level, into the primary school level, and yes, even at the preschool level now. Um, They don't want open debate on the issues. They want conformity. They want left-wing conformity at all times. But you probably didn't know that they even censor debate now at debates. Not kidding. A few weeks back, I had a guy on named James Fishback. James Fishback wrote a phenomenal piece on judges that were telling debate uh, uh, contestants um, at uh, high school speech and debate tournaments that if you use words we don't like, like illegal alien, for example, or words that um, suggest a binary in the sexual ideological world, you will automatically lose if you just say the words, not as a slur. But even in just in the context of discussing the issue, use those words and you're done. Well, it's worse than that now. It's much worse than that now. Part two of the story that James Fishback has uh, revealed is that now at high school debates, if you have ever said anything or written anything that somebody in the debate tournament finds objectionable, they can use it against you, whether it has anything to do with the subject at hand or not. And the debate moderators and judges say, yes, we are going to, we are going to penalize people, uh, for things that they may or may, may not have said that we just don't like. This is incredible. This is Orwellian. This is dangerous. And joining us now to discuss this is James Fishback, who wrote this tremendous piece. I'll steer it, steer you to it, uh, for the free press. Uh, it's, uh, thefp.com. You can look for it yourself. Uh, just Google up James's name or find him on Twitter as well. James, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate you being with us. How are you? Oh, it's my pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me back. I'm freaked out by this. I thought your last I thought the story we talked about last time was bad when judges said you used a word I don't like, you automatically lose. The other side is the victor. They could have stood up there and farted and they win because you used a word that I didn't like. I thought that was bad. Give us the details on part two now. It is it is part two is more damning about what is happening in high school debate. Again, the irony of this all is that this is supposed to be a debate, an open competition of ideas. Part two starts off with a young man named Matthew Edelstein. 
His senior year of high school, he qualifies to this big national tournament of champions in Lexington, Kentucky. The topic is whether the U.S. should increase protection for water resources. He argues in favor of it. And in his final round of the two-day tournament, Bob, Matthew gets up there, makes his arguments in favor of it. The opposing team, the first words out of their mouth, I'm quoting here, are this debate is more than just about debate. It's about protecting the individuals in the community from people who proliferate hatred and make this community unsafe, end quote. Wait, wait, hold on. I thought this was a debate about U.S. water policy. They continue, Bob, by bringing up a screenshot of a tweet that Matthew sent earlier that month that they deemed politically incorrect. They then spent the entire round talking about how Matthew is a violent, racist, homophobe, on the basis of a six-word tweet, neglected U.S. water policy. By the way, a really important topic that wherever you stand on the issue, we ought to have a debate on it. And then rambled for an hour about, again, how Matthew was a racist. Here's the worst part. The judge, the high school debate judge in the round, gave Matthew opponents the win. He said, quote, a debate space where racist and violent people are not allowed is preferable to one where they are, and he continued by saying, quote, the ballot, referring to his vote, is, has a transformative power to challenge white debate norms, where, is it a, where it's okay to let racist or violent activities slide. This was supposed to be a national championship round about U.S. water policy. It was hijacked by students who dug up dirt on their opponent based off of a tweet from a month earlier and made the debate about how he's a racist. The judge took it seriously, gave Matthew the loss for a great, well-researched argument on water policy, and then went on to lecture him on how he, of course, is a violent racist. What on earth is going on? Um, I'm going to ask you in a moment about how Matthew handled that and what some of the other uh, reactions were, James. We're talking to James Fishback. I should steer you to his website which is IncubateDebate.org. Incubate Debate, all spelled out as you would, IncubateDebate.org. James is the founder uh, of that organization. And again, you should read his work. You can find the links to it there as well. Um, I want to, for the sake of uh, uh, understanding for our listeners right now, uh, tell everybody what the tweet was, because I'm sure everybody's wondering what was this six-word tweet. So I'm going to share this, and then you can tell us more. Yeah. Uh, the tweet was in response to another tweet, Twitter user who who asked a question, quote, ethical objectivity challenge. Name one thing that you personally feel is morally disgusting, but that you think rationally should be legal and accepted by society. Matthew's response, his six words were calling people racial or homophobic slurs. So in other words, he's saying, I find that to be morally disgusting calling people racial or homophobic slurs. But rationally, in response to the question, it should be legal and accepted by society because we do have the First Amendment. Uh, yes. The First Amendment doesn't just protect nice flowery speech. It protects all speech. So I think he answered the question fairly. And in no way does it make him racist or homophobic because he said he personally finds it morally disgusting. I'll let you take it from there, Jeff. James, James, make it for you. <laughs> That's exactly. Well, there's so many names going on with these tweets and responses. I know I don't you're right. You. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, Jeffrey, and and the other students. You know, so you're absolutely right. By the way, 
this is so much bigger than one tweet. Matthew, actually, he's a card-carrying progressive. He tells me he misread the tweet uh, about the accepted by society. He argued it on the legal basis, of course, as you know, Bob, and you said well, that the First Amendment is about speech that we detest more than about speech that we love, and that's important. That's what our founding fathers wanted us to know. But here's the worst part. This judge, we talked a lot about in part one the idea that paradigms can signal a judge's ideological or political preference. This judge who excoriated Matthew for being a racist and gave him the loss on the basis of an unrelated tweet, there was no indication in his paradigm that he was problematic in any way, shape, or form. It just goes to show that we can't always prove a judge ex-ante is going to be problematic. But here's the thing. We've got a judge on the record in his paradigm actually telling kids to do exactly what Matthew's opponents did. And I want to quote here. This is a judge, Zachary Westchowski, his paradigm, which is still up on the NSBA's website, says, quote, I will consider indictments of an opponent on the basis that they have done something or said something racist, gendered, or phobic in their personal behavior. The indictment needs to be clearly documented, a screenshot of a Facebook post or an accusation with references to multiple witnesses. So what does this mean, Bob? It means if you're having a debate on, say, whether we should continue to send $100 billion to Ukraine, that your opponent can just dig up a tweet where you defended President Trump from six months ago and then hijack the debate, call you a neo-fascist, Nazi, racist, homophobe, xenophobe, and then win the debate. This is antithetical to debate. It is un-American, and it has to stop. Um, I'm uh, I'm curious, how does Matthew handle this? How did he handle it publicly at the moment when he was told you lost? Did he dispute it? Did he complain? Has he said anything after the fact? Did his debate coach step up for him? How did that go? Yeah, Matthew took this as, as the professional young man that he is. He actually really didn't tell anybody about it. Uh, he reached out to me after part one. We had a conversation personally, and he was actually reluctant to bring it up. He didn't want to make this story about him. But he, he came forward and wanted to go on the record about this because this wasn't the first time this had happened to someone uh, in debate, and he wanted to put an end to this, what is a very toxic idea. I mean, the idea that, you know, 20 years ago, if you wanted to win a high school debate, you would stay up at night reading articles from the Cato Institute uh, or maybe even Brookings or Heritage or, or wherever. And now what you do the night before a tournament is you scour social media and find one instance of alleged political incorrectness and then make the debate about all of that. It's teaching the kids the wrong skills. And here's the question at the end of the day, Bob. The National Speech and Debate Association, where is their response? Why can they not just come out and condemn and remove these judges and say, we've got to do better? We've heard nothing from crickets, nothing but crickets from this organization on parts one and two. Another element of part two, James, uh, can you tell us about Mr. and Miss? I'm sorry, you cut out there. Oh, I'm sorry, James. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. I, I, the question Mr. was, uh, another element of your part two story that you wrote is about Mr. and Miss. Aside from yes. Matthew being attacked for things that he wrote that had nothing to do with water policy, uh, yes. let, let's talk about the gendered issue. Absolutely. So, there's a there's many different formats of high school debate. Saying you do high school debate is sort of like saying you do sports, right? Do you do basketball? Do you do football? Do you run track? 
There's one particular style of high school debate. I actually competed in it in high school. It's called congressional debate. And in congressional debate, it's a mock Congress. You debate legislation and you refer to each other uh, as Mr. France or Mr. Fishback. And, and that's how you refer to your colleagues on the floor of the debate. Well, the NFCA changed the rules in 2019. And the tournament parliamentarian, essentially the tournament director for the national tournament in 2019, said this to the student before the final round, quote, I do not want to hear Mr. or Miss from anyone. That would be greatly appreciated as we try to respect the differences of every single person here. They're declaring war on gendered language students as young as 12 or 13 years old, are being penalized by their judges for simply referring to their colleagues in a debate as Mr. Last Name or Miss Last Name. What on earth is going on? Um, as far as I understand, too, when I watch congressional committee hearings, um, they also use the terms gentleman and gentle lady. The gentleman from exactly. Ohio is recognized, the gentle lady from Minnesota is recognized, and so on and so forth. So, so they're basically saying... If you speak in, 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 the, in the widely accepted language that this country has been using for 247 years, um, you're, you, you lose the debate automatically because it is a binary. Those are binary words. We might have people who don't recognize that binary. So regardless of your research, your presentation, your articulation, your logic, your reasoning, you lose if you say miss or mister because it, I, might find it, I, I might find it uncomfortable because somebody else might find it uncomfortable. Correct, because the student would be participating in the invalidation of the transgender experience. And, Bob, this is why I think this article series is resonating with people. This is not a left or a right-wing issue. There are members of the Democratic caucus in those committees who don't bat an eye when they say gentlewoman or gentleman when having a discussion. This is about a fringe, maybe a 5 maybe even a 10% part of society that is on the verge of neo-Marxism that wants to declare war on any idea that does not fit into their worldview. I hosted a Twitter space as a call last night on Twitter where over a thousand people joined in and got a little bit of pushback from current high school and college and uh, debaters and debate coaches. Here's what one individual told me. He was the nationally ranked Lincoln Douglas debater in high school and college. And he told me that, well, of course, students should not argue for capitalism. It's, quote, rhetorically violent to defend capitalism. Or the debate coach, Bob, who told me last night that, of course, students should not argue that systemic racism isn't real. That's analogous to arguing that the sky isn't blue. They don't believe that our ideas have any merit. There's no amount of evidence. They don't want to debate even Forget conservative, even mainstream centrist ideas they want nothing to do with in these high school debates. Can you tell me, James, you obviously have a ton of experience with this. As you said, you competed when you were in school, and you obviously uh, you host uh, and own uh, IncubateDebate.org now. Um, are these judges paid? They are paid. Um, I'm kind of curious. the To the judges who say... 
you cannot speak of capitalism or else we consider it rhetorical violence, how they can accept paychecks. It sounds to me like they're taking advantage of a capitalist system in which they can choose to do a job in exchange for compensation that they keep, that they do not have to. I mean, unless they can show me that they turn their money into the government for equal distribution to other people and other judges, um, then they are, in, they are, they are indeed engaging in capitalism that they, that they revile so much. You can bet that they also took an Uber that morning to the tournament, and before they got there, they stopped and got an $8 soy latte from Starbucks. These people are walking hypocrites to criticize what capitalism has done for this country and done for the world, and then to punish a student for merely suggesting that capitalism can reduce poverty or that Israel has a right to defend itself. I want to leave with, with this example, Bob, which is, I think, goes to show the subtleties of this type of political bias in high school debate. There's a judge by the name of Rich Kowalics. And in this paradigm, he actually just judged the NSA National Tournament in Phoenix two weeks ago. He tells kids, quote, any argument or behavior that is racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic, ableist, or diminishes any person's humanity will earn you the law. I think we can agree that if a kid attacks a kid for being black or gay or or Muslim, that they should lose the debate if they make the debate about attacking someone's identity. But but here's the problem, Bob, is that Rich also ties this prohibition to arguments that he deems related to these ideas. So I, I ask you, what is a xenophobic argument? Is it someone arguing that we ought to build a wall and secure the southern border? Rich has a problem with transphobic arguments. Is that a young girl saying that young girls like me, as young as 12 years old, cannot consent to life-altering surgery? And so what he's doing in a very cute and subtle way is he's shutting down debate on some of the most important issues right now facing the country and he's doing it under the guise of safety and equity and we're just trying to make a safe space and invalidate no 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 it is about suppression censorship it is an attack on free speech in america bingo you just hit the words i wanted to use suppression censorship and, and free speech and and to your example um you're right if somebody attacks a person for being a certain race or attacks their qualifications or characteristics for being a certain race i agree that is out of bounds out of line and it should uh, it, there should be repercussions whether it's a loss or whatever um it, you know is a, is a matter of opinion but what would a debater be allowed to express i don't know if you saw about an hour ago we found out the supreme court just ruled against affirmative action in admissions at harvard and north carolina and that of course will extend um if a student says, I support merit-based admissions policies, not admissions policies based on race, any judge could determine that that's an attack on, on, on minorities, an attack on African Americans or quote-unquote black and brown people, as I like to call them now, because you actually support meritocracy, which favors Asian Americans, by the way, another minority group, but Asian Americans right. and Caucasians. They, they, would, they would say that is out of bounds, and therefore you take the L. Totally. That's totally right. Those are one of those sacred ideas. The issue of abortion, so-called transgender health care, affirmative action, systemic racism. Those are the sacred ideas in high school debate that if you question them, you're kicked out. 
Here's one judge who hey, said... Hey, that hey, 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 I apologize, James. I've, I'm out of time here. I've got one, one minute left, and I want to use it on this. You close yes. your uh, Part 2 article by saying you still love debate. Uh, you, 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 you love it. You want to save it. You want to push more kids into it. Why would you push kids into this knowing this is the new normal? Or do you think this Correct. can somehow be undone? I don't know that once we've gotten here, if the toothpaste, toothpaste is ever going back in the tube. You're, you're right. This cannot be undone. The NSDA is a failed, corrupted, and bankrupt institution. But here's what we got to do, Bob. we got to use the capitalism they decry and denounce. we got to use it in our favor. we got to build competing parallel institutions that offer a better product. I'm doing that with Incubate Debate. It's a no-cost debate league. It's the largest in the country, and we're expanding now beyond our home base of Florida to bring it to other states where free speech, civility, and merit reign true. And for your listeners who want to support us, IncubateDebate.org, I'd be honored to have their support in this fight to bring free speech back to high school debate. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. That's an answer that I like and I can certainly get behind. Follow James Fishback on Twitter at J underscore Fishback, just like it sounds. J underscore Fishback. And uh, again, his website is IncubateDebate.org. James, James, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Bob. All right, it's 1130. We'll take our final time out and come right back on Always Right Radio. Commander-in-Chief, I was proud to have ended the ban on transgender Americans serving in the United States military. Are you or someone you know transgender? Do you ever find yourself just wanting to make people laugh? Maybe in a king's court, in the office, or at the local deli? You may be transgender. No one should be singled out or demonized. Discrimination against transgender people in the United States of America in 2023 callous and cynical is no longer Acceptable. We have to act as a nation. I'm Dan Lawyerman. It's Pride Month in America. And if you, yourself, or someone you know has been discriminated against for being transgender, or even if you think you may be transgender, but just haven't told anyone yet, just acknowledge it. Here at Dan Lawyerman and Associates, we believe it's okay to make jokes. It's okay to try to make people laugh. And you belong. And we won't kill you for not being funny. Transgender Americans, your president, my entire administration has your back. Go ahead and give me a call at my law firm. The number is 1-800-555-5555. You are heard. So go ahead and put on that striped rainbow hat with bells at the end and give us your best Jerry Lewis. You know, we all move forward when we move together with your joy, with your pride lighting the way. So go ahead and light the way, transgesters, because we see you and you better believe we'll make them reciprocate. Financially. Transgender Americans. For a free consultation, visit DanLawyerManIsAwesome.com. Happy Pride Month. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. Wow, what a program. Really, really, really informative stuff today. Not just what I tried to bring to the table, but from the guests as well, uh, uh, Bernie Moreno joined us in the uh, 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 t- top of the, uh, or excuse me, bottom of the ten o'clock hour at ten thirty-five. Then we just finished up with James Fishback. Really important stuff about First Amendment, free speech, and what they're doing to education, what they're doing to kids, even in the, the speech and debate realm. Um, I got a little uh, taste of something for you that I want to share. Um, I threw this out to Peter Kirsten out during the break. Um, I wanted his first blush reaction to the breaking news of the day. And the breaking news of the day is that, yes, 
colleges and universities now must abide by federal regulations that prohibit discrimination based on race or ethnicity. Harvard, University of North Carolina, the two universities at the center of the Supreme Court case that have been admitting students based on what they look like, what color they are, or what language they speak, or what country their parents or grandparents or somebody else may have come from, instead of merit and qualifications for going to that university, they can no longer do so. They must follow the law. How about that? What a remarkable decision from the United States Supreme Court. Follow the law, and you cannot keep a highly qualified Asian American student or a highly qualified white student out of a freshman class, out of being admitted to a a university in favor of somebody who is less qualified, lower test scores, lower GPA, lower opportunities to advance, lower um, qualifications, lower merit, simply to color up the campus and diversify the university. So to the Supreme Court of the United States. Can you dig it? Absolutely. Finally got one right, and they did it even better than some thought they might. Let me explain. Yesterday, I'm sorry, Tuesday, I asked Peter Kersenow what he expected from the affirmative action decision from the court that was due this week. And he said probably they're gonna they're gonna you know split the middle somewhere. They're not gonna give us a full on repeal of affirmative action, but they're not gonna allow it to continue as it is right now. And so once I got word today that it pretty much is a full out repeal of affirmative action, I texted Peter Kersena, and I said, Pete, I know you're coming on tomorrow because he will be with us for an hour tomorrow. I wanted Kersenow, who is a Supreme Court and legal expert to give us full reactions to the most important uh, decisions being handed down by the court this week as the, uh, they end this session. The other one being, by the way, the student loan, Biden's student loan forgiveness scam. I said, I want Kersenow to give us some uh, terrific analysis, even though he was on Tuesday, and he said he'll be back Friday. So sure enough, tomorrow we have him for an hour. But I want to give you a little taste, a little teaser. I said, Pete, your first blush, blush reaction to the affirmative action decision. And I'll tell you what he uh, texted back. Far better than I expected. This is going to have quite an impact, not just on education, but on Diversity, Inc. Of course, the left will use this to rally voters and scare minorities who believe into believing slavery is right around the corner. And then I said, looking forward to tomorrow, and he said, by the way, Thomas cited my brief in his opinion. So how about that? Justice Clarence Thomas cited Peter Kirsten as brief filed before the court involving this, and he, as he, absolutely he should have. Peter Kersenow has written some incredible opinions uh, and and briefs and notes uh, that he has submitted on the issue of affirmative action. We've been discussing it for years. Remember, this case started in 2014. That's how the wheels of justice turn in this country, sadly, very, very, very slowly. So we're talking, what, nine years later, we finally get to a Supreme Court resolution. But Peter Kersenow's work and the briefs that the amicus briefs that he has uh, submitted to the court on this case were cited by Chief Justice Thomas. So to Peter, not Chief Justice Thomas, beg your pardon, Justice Thomas. So to Peter, we said, Can you dig it? That's a pair. 
That's a pair of Can You Dig It's one for the court for the decision, one to Peter Kirsten now for his role in that. So that's why we're very fortunate on this program to have access to Peter Kirsten now, one of the best legal minds working in America, and of course, as the longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, an integral part of justice and rights in America. He just is. Uh, we're very, very lucky to have him. So he'll be on with us tomorrow. And, of course, we will welcome your thoughts on what happened with this thing today. Look. It has been no secret to anyone that what the institutions of higher learning like Harvard have been doing to, quote, diversify their campus was a direct violation of the Civil Rights Act, that it discriminated against people based on their race. And the best part about it is it's another minority race in the course of trying to make it easier for some minorities to get into elite universities, those minorities being black and Hispanic. They deliberately targeted another minority race, Asians or Asian Americans, for for, uh, discrimination. In order to keep more black and brown or get more black and brown students onto their campuses, they had to remove some of the Asians who were more qualified. Not to mention whites, although whites nobody cares about because they're the majority. But they are also victims of racial discrimination in admissions policies in these cases. So this is a huge win, not just for Asian Americans or white students. It's a huge win for America because it says loudly and clearly from the Supreme Court that we will not favor nor disfavor someone based on their race. That's how it's supposed to be. Talk more about that tomorrow. Have a great day. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.